Our whole world is sitting there on a computer. It's in the computer. Find out anything from the computer? Nothing useful. Logic and practical information do not seem to apply here. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about computers. Now when I talk about computers, I can talk from experience because I was basically there from the beginning. I mean, not the very first time a computer was invented, but from the beginning when computers started becoming a fixture in our homes. This is going to sound surprising, but when I was a kid, we did not have a computer in the house. Having a computer in the house was not even something that anybody considered. And I mean, I'm talking no computers, no PCs, no apples, no nothing. Apple was a fruit mom gave us to snack on. That was it. Nowadays, we have computers in our pocket. The computer power in my cell phone is greater than the computer power they used to take astronauts to the moon. That's how much technology has changed in my lifetime. We take it for granted now. We take it for granted that we have a laptop, we have a cell phone, we have a desktop. We use a computer to work. We use a computer to play. We use a computer or a phone to stream. We can binge watch shows on our TV and our computer. We can create spreadsheets with a click of a button. We can write novels and poems and fanfic and whatever else you want to write just by sitting down and doing it. Just call up your word processor, whatever it is, and go. But when I was a kid, we didn't have that. There was nothing like that. And it's such a huge change in the world that we just accept. So what I wanted to do today was take you down the path of the development of home computers from the perspective of just a guy who's used computers all of his life, but didn't start out that way. It's funny when I think about it, it would be like sitting down and talking to my grandmother about what it was like to live in a world before there were cars. Because my grandmother lived in a world where the main means of transportation was horseback or carriage. And I'm sure that was a huge difference to her. I mean, cutting the travel time from one town to another from half a day to half an hour had to be significant. I mean, we don't think about that anymore either, do we? Nobody's traveling by horseback from my home in New Jersey to New York City. But there was a time when that was the only way to do it. The comparison is, it used to be if you wanted to sit down and write a book, or if you wanted to sit down and write a screenplay, you had to use an old-fashioned typewriter. If you haven't seen an old-fashioned typewriter... And I'm talking the ones before there were electric typewriters. There were manual typewriters where you would click each key and one letter would pop up on a piece of paper. And if you wanted to make copies of whatever you were typing, you used something called carbon paper. And if you wanted to make more than one copy, you'd have to use more than one piece of carbon paper. I know it sounds tedious, right? It was. It was. So let me give you the picture. You'd put a piece of paper down, just a regular piece of white paper. Carbon paper was a thin, filmy kind of paper where one side was kind of waxy and the other side literally had carbon on it. And you'd put a piece of carbon paper on your piece of white paper. Then you'd take another piece of white paper and put it on top of that. That's how you would make one copy. If you wanted to make two copies, then you'd add another piece of carbon paper on top of that and another piece of white paper on top of that. Doing anything more than three copies would get difficult because you couldn't fit the paper into the typewriter. Because to get a piece of paper in the typewriter, you had to roll it into the carriage. There was literally a roller, and you would roll it, and it would click as you rolled, and you had to have enough room in the roller for all the copies you wanted to make. Usually, three copies was about the maximum you could do. 
And think about this for a second. When you were typing, let's just say a letter. We won't even talk about a book. We won't even talk about a screenplay. Let's just say you were typing a letter. If you were typing along, and instead of typing T-H-E for the word the, you typed T-H-R because your fingers were too quick or you were careless, you would have to backspace and correct that. But the backspace key on a typewriter didn't erase the R that you mistakenly typed. You had to have either liquid paper, which was literally a little jar of white paint that you would paint out the letter, let it dry, and then type the E over it. They had correct tape, where you would backspace and put the tape over the letter and then hit the letter again, and the correct tape would block out the letter with a little white film so that you could then type your E on top of where the R was. And that worked on the original, for the most part. But you also had to do it for every copy. So you had to peel back the pages and correct each of the copies. I remember when whiteout became a thing because it used to be that little correct tape or they had special typewriter erasers where you could erase the ink and erase it on the carbons too. It was a weird little thing, the typewriter eraser. It was about the size of a regular pencil, except instead of lead where the pencil is, it was a rubberish eraser and the other end was a brush. And the reason you had a brush is after you'd erase, you'd have little pieces of the rubber and you'd have to brush it away so it wouldn't smear the ink. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine doing that now? Nowadays, if you're typing a letter out, you just type the letter out. You make a mistake, backspace, put the right letter in. When you're done, print. You want two copies? Print two copies. You don't even have to print it out anymore. You can email it as an attachment. And then whoever's getting it can print it out or just read it on the computer screen. But back when I was growing up, you typed things that were formal. Letters, manuscripts, poems, screenplays. They all were typed and they were formatted in a particular way. Now here's the other thing about typing. Once you got to the end of the page, you had to stop what you were doing, get more paper, roll that into the carriage, and start typing where you left off. And if you were making copies, you had to duplicate the carbon paper thing too. So if you were doing three or four or 50 pages and you needed copies of all 50 pages... You would do that for every page. Nowadays, with a word processor, it just creates a new page as you type along. You don't even have to think about it. It just happens. That's just one of the many little things that we take for granted. I remember those days of typing. I remember those days of carbon paper. And that's because home computing and word processing made a huge difference. Not only a difference, a huge change in the way we do things. It's funny because I grew up with typewriters. I also grew up during the word processor war. That may sound weird to you, but there was a word processor war back when home computers were first starting to become more popular, more prevalent. We all know Microsoft Word. Microsoft Word is basically the default word processor now. But there were companies that were competing for the business back when home computers first started coming into the, I guess, prevalence that they have these days. And my word processor of choice was WordPerfect. WordPerfect Corporation put out a really good product back in the 80s, back in the 90s. Much better than Word. Much more user-intuitive, much easier to learn. And you might be sitting there saying, well, what's there to learn about a word processor? It used to be a lot more complicated than it is. There were special codes and special key combinations. There were formatting skills you had to learn if you wanted your margins the right width, the lines the right spacing, the typeface the right typeface. WordPerfect was a whole lot easier. And, of course, WordPerfect documents and Word documents were not compatible with each other. So if you were using one word processor and you sent your document to somebody else using another word processor, in the early days, a Word user couldn't read a WordPerfect document. 
and a WordPerfect user couldn't read a Word document. They did it that way to try to encourage people to buy their particular product. Never mind that it made it very difficult for students and teachers and businesses to interact with each other. And it was the same thing with other business tools, too. Spreadsheets. We all know Microsoft Excel. Well, the first spreadsheet that I ever learned was Lotus123. And again, Lotus123, a much better product than Microsoft Excel. More intuitive, easier to use, easier to understand. But like WordPerfect, Microsoft drove them out of business, basically. But I learned Lotus123 at my job. Now, one of the jobs that I had years ago, I was doing statistics at Newsweek magazine. This is back when Newsweek was actually a print magazine, long before it was online only. Newsweek and Time competed with each other, and I had a job there, actually in the mailing services department. But one of the things that I had to do was track statistics. We actually tracked the statistics about mailings and promotions. You know, when you get that stuff in the mail that says, if you subscribe now, you get a free handbag. Or sometimes you'll get the one, if you subscribe now, we'll give you an extra six months for free. So we tracked the stats on which promotion was more effective, how much it cost to mail, how many we mailed each month, how many returns we got. So many things that we tracked. I know you don't think about that stuff, but that was a thing that I did. But when I had this job, the company had a PC sitting in the corner in the back of the mailroom, and nobody knew how to use it. So the manager of the department gave me a manual for Lotus 123 and a manual for the computer. One of those early PCs that you'd see in a company. I mean, this is pre-Windows time. This is an MS-DOS operating system. So I had to learn how to make MS-DOS work. Now, I didn't know. I went to college. I took a computer class, basically an introduction to computers, so that I had an understanding of how they worked. But in these early days of computers, you had MS-DOS, which is Microsoft Disk Operating System. MS-DOS was one of the systems that was out there. Apple was coming into its own, but it had its own operating system. Commodore was another company. They had their own operating system. There were different programming languages, BASIC, C, C+, all different kinds of ways to program. So we had this PC sitting in the corner of the mailing services department, and nobody knew how to use it. And the manager of the department said, see if you can go figure that out. And if you can, this is a spreadsheet program. See if you can make it work. So I was given basically a month on company time to teach myself how to use MS-DOS and how to use Lotus 1-2-3. And sure enough, I learned how to do it. I mean, it's not hard if they give you the time. Sure, it's complicated. Sure, it takes a little thought. But I was able to do it. And I learned how to make spreadsheets. I learned how to track statistics on it. I learned how to generate reports. Again, it wasn't easy, but it was understandable. And the fact that I was able to do that with, like, no background makes me laugh at people these days who say, I can't figure out my phone. I mean, really, it's not that difficult. But I digress. The point is, back in the early days of computers, it was so new, nobody knew how to use them. And a lot of people had to take special classes. A lot of people taught themselves. A lot of people bought books on how to do it. Because it wasn't something that you just knew how to do from the get-go. You had to learn how to do it. It was new technology. It was a whole new process. It may sound funny, but my schooling goes back to the days when we actually used slide rules. A slide rule is a kind of a tool that engineers and scientists use to do advanced calculations. Now, obviously, this is before you would just punch some numbers into a program in a computer and get a result. We learned how to do some of this stuff with slide rules. It makes me laugh because we were watching an old cartoon. And there was a reference to a slide rule. And Gamer Dude Daughter said, 
A what? Now I know what a slide rule is because I used one, but home computers, work computers, PCs, cell phones have made slide rules obsolete. I say home computers, I say business computers. There was a big difference at one point in time. Business computers were pretty big, pretty powerful. Home computers existed, and you could do basic bookkeeping on them. You could do your taxes on them. But there really wasn't any online aspect to those early home computers. Not right away. You would use them for writing, making lists, doing the taxes, keeping the household budget. But communicating with other people on a computer? That didn't happen. Now, of course, gaming followed. Gaming did come to the home PC. It started on those computers that they had in universities. You may have heard of the game Zork. That's one of the first RPG adventure games out there. There was no graphics. There were no controllers. Purely text. It was a program that would present you a scene written out on the computer screen. Something like, you're walking down the hall and you come to a locked door. Do you try the knob? And then you would respond, yes or no. You didn't get to explain anything more than that. You got a choice, yes or no. And if you chose yes, the programmer would respond, the knob rattles but doesn't turn. Do you try to force the door? And you have the option yes or no. And if you type yes, the computer would respond, the door crashes open, revealing a dark room. Do you enter the room? And then you respond yes, no, and so on. And that's how you would do an adventure game. And the Zork games were huge. People loved these games. I loved these games. I thought they were awesome. That's probably one of the reasons that I like story games so much, because the first games that I played online were story games, the Zork games. There were several of them. Now, of course, graphics came and video games were not that far behind, but the early games were text adventures, because that's all we had. That's all there was. That's all the computers could do. And a good text adventure game, that would eat up a lot of your time. Now, I saw those text adventure games, as I said, when I was in college. When I was in school, nobody had laptops, nobody had PCs, nobody had a computer. If you were taking a computer class, you would go to a place on campus called the Computer Lab. And there were different courses being taught. The course that I took, the Intro to Computers, was taught in what was called the Basic Computing Language, which was very simple. You could do basically basic computing. We didn't do any serious programming. I mean, I was able to create a couple of pixel figures. The first thing I ever did was program a pixelated version of the Starship Enterprise and made it fly across the screen. And I did that in basic. It was really cool. I was so proud of myself that I figured that out. But this is also back in the day when they still used computer cards, computer punch cards, to program computers. Now, I never did that, but I had friends who did that. And in order to get a computer to do something you would have to write the program using punch cards. And each punch card would have a command. Now, I don't know how to do it, so I'm kind of making this up a little as I go along, based on my understanding of what happened at the time. But basically, instead of writing a line of code, you would create a punch card that was the equivalent of a line of code. And you'd have a sequence of punch cards that would be fed into the computer and give the computer its instructions. And that's how it would execute whatever program you were creating for it. Now, as you might expect, a computer that needed punch cards was not something that would fit on the desk in your dorm room or in your home. Computers were still primarily huge things when I was first learning how to use them. But home computers did come out. Apple developed one. Commodore developed one. There were other versions of home computers put out by different companies early on. Most of them used the MS-DOS operating system. Apple developed its own, as I mentioned. And Apple was never as big and never really able to compete 
with the other companies that used MS-DOS. And I'm not going to go into the corporate history behind all that. But Apple has always been around, has always been the smaller of the companies, but has always had a very rabid and loyal following, which is why it stays around. And people who love apples love apples. And people who love PCs love PCs. It's like Android phones versus iPhones. It's the same argument, basically. I like this system because. Well, I like this system because. But whichever system you picked, the PC or the Apple, they were all super expensive when I was a kid. And we couldn't afford one. We did not have a PC in my home until after I'd graduated college. Because they were just too expensive. And my dad thought it was a frivolous investment. Well, I'm not going to throw $1,000 away on something we're going to use maybe once a month. Okay, Dad. I mean, they were expensive. And they weren't practical. And I certainly wasn't going to be able to convince my dad to buy a computer so I could play games. That wasn't going to happen. Not that there were that many games to play back in the early days. But you have to understand, when I was a kid, sitting at a computer, doing work at a computer, watching videos on a computer, communicating online, just wasn't a thing. It didn't happen. It didn't exist. The technology just wasn't there for people. And nobody cared to do it anyway. If you were going to communicate with somebody, you called them on the phone. If you saw them in the backyard while you were outside, you'd say, hey, what's going on? And that's how you communicated. I mean, nowadays we text each other in the same house. Back in the day, if you wanted to talk to your neighbor, you'd have to go in the backyard to do it. You'd see him at the concerts at the school. You'd see him at the diner. You'd see him at the general store. That's how you communicated. There was no mass communication. There was no Facebook page. There was no Twitter feed. There was no Instagram. Instagram, when I was a kid, was being invited over to the neighbor's house so they could show you their slideshow of their vacation photos. And yes, it was as tedious as it sounds. Everybody gathered in Frank's living room. He'd bring out the slide projector and queue up a hundred slides from his trip to the Grand Canyon. Well, here's where we were in the Badlands, and look, there's a prairie dog. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Looks great. Nowadays, Frank will just put those on his Instagram and you can look at them or not. But that's how we used to communicate. That's how we shared photos. Now, it changed for me personally when I finally started earning money because one of the first things that I wanted to buy for myself was a personal computer because as the time went on, they did develop games and being a gamer, I wanted to play them. Now, as I mentioned, there was regular PCs, there was Apple's, and there was Commodore. Commodore had a bunch of different home PCs that they did. The Commodore 64 is probably one you've heard of. But Commodore developed the Amiga computer. The Amiga was a graphics powerhouse, and they developed a lot of games for the Amiga. They had games for other systems too, don't get me wrong. But back in the 80s, Amiga was the the top-of-the-line graphics machine. Hollywood Studios used Amiga computers. You can look it up. Back when they were doing some of the early CGI stuff, back when they were using computers to create and enhance videos, Amigas were right there at the front line. And so me, being the gamer, oh, the best graphics? Get me an Amiga. So I saved up my money, and I got myself an Amiga. Now, I bought a word processor for it, too, a WordPerfect version, because WordPerfect was better, even though it wasn't compatible with Word. And even though the Amiga version was not compatible with anything, except other Amiga versions, I wasn't sending my documents anywhere. I just needed to be able to write. So I had WordPerfect for Amiga, and then I bought a bunch of different games that were awesome on the Amiga. There was a company back in the day called Cinemascope, that put out various games, and they were really good to look at and to play. Lucasfilms, back when they were making games, their game branch was called LucasArts. They put out some great games. There was a company that put out 
a couple of sports programs called TV Sports Basketball and TV Sports Football. And these were some of the early precursors to what we see now with the Madden football and the FIFA soccer. They had announcers and studio shows. I mean, the games themselves, they were very pixelated. You can obviously tell the difference between a game now and a game from the 80s. But boy, for the 80s, the graphics were amazing. Now, for me, the gaming on the Amiga was one of the most important parts. I mean, I used the word processor too. I needed that. That's why I got WordPerfect. But the gaming, man, that was one of the main reasons for having the computer for me. And again, don't forget, we really weren't using the internet back then. We had email, but it was very sporadically used. There was no texting back then. There was no online communication. Twitter wasn't a thing. Facebook wasn't a thing. Email was barely a thing. And watching a movie or a show online, it just didn't exist. Now, I'm not saying that because it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying that it's a different thing. It's a way the world has changed significantly in my lifetime, but in a way that was just so gradual. It's just one of those things that kind of happened like a drip, drip, drip of a faucet. When I was learning Lotus 1-2-3, I would never have foreseen the day where I would be watching music videos online in my living room. When I was playing TV sports basketball, in my apartment. There's no way I would have seen the day where I was playing Call of Duty on my phone at a bus station. If you look at it from where it started to where it is now, that's a huge jump. It's like, wow, that's amazing. But when you've lived it, when you've seen it step by step, day by day, it seems like a natural evolution. It doesn't seem that drastic until you sit and think about it. And you realize just how drastic it is, just how immense a change it is, and it has been, and continues to be. And I guess that's why I wanted to talk about this today, because what we see today, it just seems natural to us. It just seems like the normal way life is these days. But when I look back, when I look back at the changes that have taken place in my life, it just blows my mind. It's amazing how we've gone from using carbon paper and whiteout and programming the Starship Enterprise in BASIC, to opening up my phone and shooting bad guys by flicking my finger on my screen. It's just unbelievable. I guess my point in telling you about this is to try to encourage you to pay attention to what's going on. Because what we have now is amazing, but we take it for granted. But there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to look back and say, wow, look how primitive we were back then. You'll probably be saying that as your AI robot is vacuuming your rug and preparing your dinner. But when that's happening, don't forget to look back and see where we were. There are times when I sit down and I go, it's pretty amazing the stuff that's happened. And when I think about the changes in home computers, when I think of the changes in the things that are just fixtures in our life now versus what they were when I was a kid, it can blow your mind. It really can. So as I said, I encourage you to pay attention, look around, see what we've got now, and keep it in mind for when you're older. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being here. As always, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate all the time you give me. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.